On September 11, 2001, a woman named Janice Brooks was not where she normally is on a Tuesday morning. Janice worked in London. She's a British woman, and she worked for a brokerage firm there. But on September 11, 2001, she was in the New York City offices of that firm, which happened to be in the World Trade Center Towers. She tells her own amazing story of what happened to her on that day. She had seen the first plane hit, not the building she was in, but the other one. And so she started evacuating her building, and she was down on the 70th floor when the plane, the second plane, hit the tower she was in, in the floors right above where she was. Not knowing the building or what to do, she was quite terrified. She, along with a couple of other people, they found a doorway to a staircase, and they knew that that's how they could get out of the building. But the, staircase, the door to the staircase was completely blocked because there was debris that had fallen from the, the floors above. She was terrified. But a man appeared, a man in a white shirt. She later learned his name, but in that moment, all she knew was this man in a white shirt who was big and strong. And he started pushing on the door that led to that staircase. And he was strong enough and he pushed hard enough that he opened the door just a little bit so that he and Janice could squeeze their bodies through and walk down the staircase to safety. There's a lot more to Janice's story, but none of it would be possible if it wasn't for this man who appeared, this strong man in the white shirt who opened the door for her, the door of salvation for her. The reality is the way the Bible describes our story as Christians is that our story is like Janice's. You see, Janice in that moment had certain death about to come down upon her. She didn't need the power of positive thinking in that moment. She needed a lowercase s savior. She needed somebody to come in and do for her what she was incapable of doing for herself. That is the Christian story. And it's exactly what happened to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 14. When they had certain death coming down upon them in the form of the Egyptian army. And they had their backs to the Red Sea. They were helpless. They did not have in their own means the ability to save themselves. They needed the mighty hand of God to come down and open the pathway of salvation for them. According to the New Testament, this story is also our story. We are powerless to save ourselves and we need salvation. The crossing of the Red Sea is a true story that really happened in history, but according to the New Testament, it's also a metaphor for the Christian life, that we do not have what it takes to save ourselves, but we need someone stronger than us to come from the outside and create a path of salvation for us. So let's reread a couple of the verses together today, knowing that this is not only a true story that happened in history, but it's also our story. Let's place ourselves in the position of these Israelites and see what they saw and experience the story as they experienced it, that the Holy Spirit would give us insight into what our spiritual journey is as well. So if you have your Bible open, I would encourage you to look at it. If not, go ahead and pull one from the sleeve in front of you. 
We're going to look at verse 9 and 10 firstly. Those are not verses that Janice read. They happened just before the reading today. But I want us to see the predicament that the Israelites were in as a way of understanding the predicament that we are in outside of a Savior. Verse 9, Exodus 14, verse 9 says this. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pahaheroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Can you picture it? The Israelites, men, women, and children, cattle, belongings, Basically, they're traipsing through the wilderness with their luggage. And the most powerful army in the world is coming down upon them. All of the strongest fighting men in Egypt coming against men, women, and children traveling in the Israelites. They lift up their eyes. I like the way the author of the Torah describes this. They lift up their eyes and they see their enemy before them. And what did they do? They did exactly what any one of us would have done. They feared greatly. They knew that they were between an impassable sea and a powerful army set on killing them. They knew there was no pathway out. They felt like Janice Brooks did on the 70th floor of the World Trade Center Tower. There's no way out. And if we really think about this, what the New Testament says about this story, not just that it's a true story that happened to the Israelites many years ago, but that it's our story, we have to place ourselves in their position and we have to say, who am I in this story? How is this my story as well? And the reality is, Anne said it to the children this morning. It was beautiful the way she described it. She said, we don't have an army coming down, but we have our sin and we are enslaved to sin. You know what the New Testament says about sin? It says the wages of sin or the consequences of sin is death. Death is coming our way because of our sin. This isn't something we like to think about very often. In fact, it's not something that's preached in very many pulpits anymore. The seriousness of sin, that sin brings death upon us. Is there anyone here who's powerful enough to overcome death? Didn't think so. We are powerless against this enemy, the enemy of our souls and the consequences of our sin. We're like the Israelites, those sitting ducks before the Red Sea. Like I said, not many people preach this these days. I I recognized this a couple of weeks ago. I did a wedding here at the church, and the couple asked me, they said, just bring the gospel. Make sure you preach the gospel. Talk about sin and what happened on the cross. I said, no problem. I got that. They wanted to to hear their wedding guests. They wanted their wedding guests to hear that. Well, at the reception afterwards, people were saying, oh, what a beautiful ceremony that was. Thank you. And all these things, these nice things. And this one guy said, wow, I didn't know Stanwich was fire and brimstone. And I thought back to my eight-minute homily, what did he interpret as fire and brimstone? And I realized I did talk about sin and how we need to be saved from our sin by Jesus' death on the cross. But to this person, it sounded like fire and brimstone because we don't normally preach this anymore across our country. It's not that 
talked about the seriousness of sin, that the wages of sin is death, that according to the Bible, we are like these sitting duck Israelites because of our sin, that death is what we have earned by our sin. Now, what God didn't instruct Moses to tell the Israelites was, just get it together. Think positively. Find that inner courage, and then you can fight this enemy. God didn't say that to the Israelites. He said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Because God knew what the Israelites needed in that moment was not some kind of inner strength. What the Israelites needed and what we need is salvation. We need a Savior. We need somebody stronger than we are to come in and make a path for us so that we can live. And that's exactly what God provided. Let's look at the story now in verse 21 to see. It says this, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What the Israelites needed was a savior. They needed the narrow door to be opened for them. And what did they do? They walked through it. God told them to not fear, to stand firm and to see, or in other translations, watch. Watch the salvation of the Lord. And then verse 14 where it says, be silent, the Lord will fight for you. That's what he did for them. Now I'm amazed at how often we look at a story like this and we focus not on the power of God, not on the saving action of God, but we focus on the action of the people. I've heard this taught and preached many times where it says they had to take that step of faith and walk out into that sea. Yeah, obviously, They walked through the Red Sea, but are we focusing on the wrong action here? Look at the action of God. He split the Red Sea. Sometimes we do this theologically. Sometimes we do this personally. We say, God's my Savior. And we say, but look at my actions. And we focus way too much on our actions. We forget the actions of God are the saving work here. We'd rather be, let me just say this personally. I'd rather be the guy in the white shirt in the World Trade Center strong enough to open the door for Janus. I'd rather be him. But salvation speaking, I'm Janus. I'm the one who needs the Savior. But I focus often in my own personal theology on my own actions, and I miss the more powerful actions of God. Imagine with me. Imagine a man falling off a cliff. There he is. He's, he's right at the top there, and he's falling off 300 feet down. But suddenly there's another man at the top of the cliff and he reaches in just the right time and he grabs the guy's hand and pulls him up and sets him back atop the cliff. If you're that man who was falling and you've just been saved, what do you say to the one who just saved you? Thank you. Who are you? That was amazing. How silly would it be to instead say, hey, good job saving me. You know, grabbed onto my hand there, but you know, look how beautiful my hand. If it wasn't for my hand... It's a nice hand. 
that you grabbed onto, isn't it? Let's focus on my hand that you grabbed. No, we do this sometimes theologically. We say, Jesus saved me, and then we, we bring to God all the great things that, that we do to earn his salvation. Don't we do that sometimes? I do that sometimes. Let me just speak personally here. <laughs> I do this. And, and why not, right? I have a lot of achievements I can point to. I've gone to a lot of good schools, and I've achieved you know, opening the door to the next great school and getting the great degree. I've achieved a lot of things in my life, and I like to point to those and be very proud of myself. But whenever, whenever I do that in my prayer life, whenever I do that spiritually, I am missing the action of God, the saving action of God. It's Him who opened that door for me, the door of salvation. It's God who split the Red Seas. Yeah, they walked through on dry ground. Good for them. That's the only option they had. I'm, you know, I'm driving this point home really hard this morning because I'm preaching to myself. And I think there might be a couple more people in this room like me. We keep focusing on our own actions. God, aren't you proud of me? Look at my actions, and God all along is saying, behold my actions for you. He has made a way for us in the cross. In fact, I think the cross is written right into Exodus 14, and I want to show you why I think that. Some of you have studied Hebrew. I studied Hebrew in seminary, and one of the things you learn in Hebrew, this was written in Hebrew, by the way, one of the things you learn when you study Hebrew is there's no punctuation. There's no commas. There's no exclamation points. It's just this ancient language where um, in order to emphasize things, the Hebrew writers, they used a couple of things at their disposal, one of which was repetition. If they repeated a phrase, it was like putting an exclamation point on it. If they repeated it twice, it was like exclamation point and underline. There's a phrase in Exodus chapter 14 that's used four times. When that happens in the Bible, when something's repeated four times, it's like exclamation point, underline, highlighted with a big arrow pointing to it on the page. There's a phrase in here that I think points directly to the cross being our narrow door of salvation. And here's the phrase. Look with me in verse 16, Exodus 14, verse 16. God says to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand. Again, in verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea in verse 26 again in verse 27 four times the same phrase is used as the seas are parting as God's saving work is being done there stands Moses the servant of God stretching out his hands is it possible that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Exodus to put that in there four times to say, look at this, don't miss this. He stretched out his hand here, 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 and here in Exodus chapter 14 to show us that our path, our door of salvation is the cross. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He stretched out his hands. He parted the seas of salvation for us so that we wouldn't have to face the enemy of our souls. We wouldn't have to face the consequences of our sin because he took those consequences upon himself on the cross. That's our path of salvation. And it's all about him and his actions. We are not ones who achieve that. 
we are ones who receive that. So maybe you wonder, what is my role then? Don't I, doesn't God want me to have a job in the kingdom? Yes, he wants you to put on your full armor and he wants to use your gifting and all of that in the kingdom. But that all comes after we realize that the saving work that's done is done by him. All of, he actually gives his people some commandments of what to do during the saving act. Verse 13, maybe you, you heard Janice read this. We do have a job in the saving act. Fear not. Stand firm. In other words, don't try to do this with your own activity. Stand firm. Be still and watch. See. That's our job. And then in the next verse, he says, in verse 14, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be silent. They were probably screaming hysterically when they saw the army coming. And God, you ever do this as a parent to your kids? You're like, don't say anything more. This is a good word for me. I'm like, God, don't you want me to say something for my salvation? God says, you be silent. I'll fight for you. I'll do this saving work for you, Nathan. Church. Back in November, the Pivot Choir was here. And there was a phrase that they sang in one of their songs that's still with me now, and it illustrates my tension with a message like this. I don't know if you remember this. The Pivot guys were singing um, that song, I Am Redeemed. I am redeemed. You know that one? And there's a phrase. I was watching these guys, and they were just in their freedom. And they sang this phrase, I've been fighting a battle that's already been won. Remember that? I've been stuck in that moment ever since November. Because I realize I'm doing that. Sometimes when I'm trying to fight for my salvation, when I'm trying to show God what a good little Messiah I am. Why did you laugh at that? You've been listening to my wife. I've been fighting a battle that's already been won. I, I can't save myself. I can't save you, this church. I can't save my problems. What I need in all of my situations is not my inner strength, not my positive thinking. I need a deliverer. I need a savior. I want to pray like the Apostle Paul did. You know, the Apostle Paul has this amazing verse I want to show you. He was going through a hard time. He was going from city to city, and they kept beating him up, literally, and uh, kicking him out of their towns. Matthew, can you put that 1 Corinthians verse up there? Here's what Paul said. He, Jesus, delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He squeezed the word deliver in there three times. You see, this deliverance equation with God, it's not just one and done. He saves us on the cross. Now it's up to me to fight all my own battles. No, we need a deliverer. We need a rescuer. We need a savior in every situation. Are there any marriages here that are in trouble? You're trying to white knuckle your way, make it work? You need a savior. Are there any hearts here that are broken? Are there any business deals going bad? Are there any parents of struggling kids that have wandered from the faith? Are there any people just trying to, just trying to make ends meet? 
You can't do it on your own. Deliverer, Savior, Rescuer, come. That's our prayer. We have an enemy who is stronger than we can defeat. But we have a Savior who has made a path for us. Amen.